Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, March the 6th, 2022. It is currently 8.14 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the empty sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in Ovalo, Texas. And this will be hour one of what will be a lot of hours, a lot of hours of live broadcasting today. The plan is to do live broadcasting starting right now, which is what, around 8.14, 8.15 a.m. We'll be live broadcasting off and on all the way till about 12.15, 12.30 p.m. Then we'll take a break for a couple of hours. Then I will be back around 3.30 p.m. And then we'll be live broadcasting all the way till 7 p.m. tonight. So feel free to tune in. You can listen to us live uh, well, there's a number of ways to listen to us live. If you want information about how to do that, email me at newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Simply say, I would like to be able to listen to you when you're live, and we will send you links, or I will send you links to all the different ways in which you can do that. All of them are absolutely free. All right. So if you want any information, let us know. Most people listen to us after the fact. Some people don't even know that they can listen to us live. So every once in a while, I just take a few seconds to just give that information out and let everyone know. All right. But you not you did not tune in for that. You probably tuned in because you saw the title and you're like, oh, that that looks interesting. Hopefully you think it's going to be interesting. Here's what happened. Are you ready? Okay. 3 a.m. this morning. 3 a.m. this morning. I reach over, grab my iPad, which is laying there right next to my, my bed. I pick it up. I open Sermons 2.0 app, the Sermon Audio 2.0 app, their new app. I opened it up, which I'm going to do right now. I opened it up and I looked for the featured sermon and I see the featured sermon and I hit play. And when I hit play, I heard this. Hello, my name is Stephen Liam, the founder of Sermon Audio, and just wanted to give you an update on where we are on some things regarding the vault. It has officially started, and I'm on my way now to Bob Jones University to take a first look. Okay, now, this, the, the featured sermon, it's really a video, and it's a video, an update from uh, Stephen Lee of Sermon Audio. And he's going to show you the beginning stages of them building the vault. Now, if you're not aware, the vault is their project, and it's it's occurring on the campus of Bob Jones University, where they're basically building a vault for all of the sermons on Sermon Audio, over 2 million sermons. They're going to build a vault so that those sermons can be preserved. Those sermons can be kept, and they cannot be just immediately removed by some other platform, all right? So this gives a, a chance to preserve the preaching of God's Word. Okay, it's, it's an interesting concept. It's an interesting project. It'll be uh, interesting to see how this plays out in the future. Uh, my, my thoughts on it is, okay, well, even if you have the vault, right, and you have the sermons preserved, how are people going to get to those sermons? Let's just say if you were, if Apple and Google removed the apps from the app stores, then I couldn't use the Sermon Audio 2.0 app. 
So how would I get to the sermons, right? How would I get to, and what if some other web-based services took down the website? Even though you have them preserved, how could they get to, to us if technology or those who, let's call them the gatekeepers of technology, shut down uh, and shut everything down and there was no access to them? So it's a cool concept, how it would all play out in a, just let's say the worst case scenario where basically society's like, that's it. We're not going to let anyone hear the preaching of God's word. It would be awesome that the sermons are preserved, but it, I would be interested to know on what, what are they thinking as the way to get the sermons to individuals. They may have explained it. I'm not sure, but that, that's just what I was thinking when, when I started listening to this at 3 a.m. I'm just give, sharing my initial thoughts. That was my initial thought is, okay, this is a cool idea because I've been trying to follow follow the updates with it. But that's always my thinking is, okay, great. Bob Jones University, there's a vault. It's got 2 million sermons digitally preserved. Wonderful. But if the apps are banned and if their web services take down your website, I, I'm here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. How would those 2 million preserved sermons help or get to me? I mean, I think that's a, that's a reasonable question, but here's another question. So what is their motivation for building the vault? It appears that part of the concern is of, of well, being basically deplatformed at some point and, and the silencing of God's word. But is there a scriptural, we'll call it, is there a scriptural motivation for what they're doing? Is there a scriptural motivation? Well, now we're going to go, now remember that what we're listening to is the audio of a video and you can go to Sermon, Sermon Audio 2.0. You can watch the video for yourself. It is cool to see the beginning stages of the vault being built um, and you can watch that on the video. So some of this where it's just music, it's it's them showing you what's being built. But here in a second, he's going to offer kind of a scriptural, we'll call it a scriptural motivation for what they're doing. Maybe, maybe that this scripture was influential in what they are doing. And when I heard the scripture read, that's when I set up and said, wait a minute. Huh. How should we interpret this verse? How should we interpret this verse? That, that's, that's something I always do. It, it, doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who the preacher is. doesn't matter what the Christian podcast is. If a scripture is just randomly just chosen and read. And when I say randomly, in other words, it's not like a, it's not like a teaching on that scripture. It's not like an exposition of the scripture. It's just, just whatever they're doing, they decide to throw in a scripture. Whenever that happens, I always stop, at least for me and go, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay. Wait, what is the scripture about? Okay. Is it, is it really fitting in with what they're, they're, they're reading it and they're kind of applying it, but What's the actual way to interpret the verse? I'm very, maybe, some people may say I'm trying to be nitpicky. It's not that I'm trying to be nitpicky. It's just, I'm always curious about when we just pick a verse and read it, my thoughts are always, okay, wait a minute. Is this is this a, a, a correct application of it? So here in a second, he's going to read from a scripture and this will led to me coming here this morning. In fact, starting at 3 a.m., I'm like, okay. I can't wait to get to the church because I want to talk about this because I think this is going to serve as a possible great, you know, hermeneutical exercise, a good Bible interpretation exercise. So I may do some of the work here. I may leave some of it for you, but I, I think this is important. So are you ready? So there's the vault. 
It's being, it's the beginning stages are occurring there at Bob Jones University. The vaults this thing to preserve over 2 million sermons on sermon audio. Um, and they're going to be preserved and kept. I've already raised some of the questions I have about that. But my main issue, or not even really an issue, my main question is the scripture that's about to be read. So here we go. If you hear the music, it's just showing you the, the construction underway. All right, here we go. here on the campus of Bob Jones University, and I am standing in front of the Mac building here, and that's where the vault will be housed. And we're here to take a first look, and we'll see what kind of progress is being made. They just started this week. This is a lot better. I just want to take a minute to read a verse that I read this past week. It was very instructive. I want to share it with you. Amos chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine, a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. That's a very sobering word. This is speaking of preaching. God hath chosen the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. And faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What this is teaching us, friends, is that there's coming a day when there's gonna be a scarcity of the preaching of the word of God. There's gonna be a scarcity of Holy Spirit-inspired preaching. And we may be seeing a little bit of that today. But that's why this project with the vault is so important to us. It's critical that we preserve these sermons. It's critical that we preserve them for a day, especially a future day, when there will be a famine of the hearing of the word of the Lord. So I hope you'll join with us in this burden to preserve the great preaching of the world. Let's take a look at this vault. All right, there you go. So uh, then he goes on to show show the vault. Then I think he has some concluding remarks. There's only like a one minute, 19 seconds left. Again, you go listen to it. I want you to listen to it for yourself and watch the video because it is very interesting that they're building the vault. But there was the scriptural motivation. The scriptural motivation in his words, Amos chapter eight, verse 11, behold the day come. And that is being interpreted in this video as that day has not yet arrived, but it is coming. It may have begun. We may be seeing a little bit of it now, but it's still not here. That Amos 8, 11 is a future prophecy that the day is coming when there's going to be a famine of God's word. All right or a famine of the preaching of God's word, a famine of the proclamation of God's word. Now, immediately when I heard that, I, 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 had, to, I had to sit up and I had to go, okay, let me, let me start thinking about this. Now, there's a couple of reasons I started thinking about this. And, and I don't know if I'm gonna go through all of them, but let me at least name one. My, my first thought is in 2022, it would be, it would be insane in my mind, to even think that there is a famine of God's word in 2022. Because there are literally millions of sermons online 
basically around the clock, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just take sermon audio, sermon audio itself. Just take it alone. How many sermons are added every single day? Every single day. And all of those sermons adhere to a statement of faith that makes them at least in theory, to be somewhat biblical, somewhat grounded in scripture and coming from a theological position that we would believe is biblical. There, 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 there's over 2 million sermons available on Sermon Audio. Just, right, I mean, just grab your phone, grab an iPad, go to Sermon Audio. You can look up by scripture reference, by topic. You can do search and then listen, listen, download, 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 download. That is available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Never... Okay, if we go back into early church history, the early church would have never even imagined being able to have that much preaching available to them around the clock. That's not a famine. We're drowning in preaching. We're drowning in biblical, uh, you know, biblical study guides and Bible studies. And I mean, we're just drowning in content. It's not that there's a famine. There's an overabundance of it. That's just Sermon Audio. Then if you download, say, the Edify Christian podcast app, they they brag and, and promote over, I think, 2.5 million Christian podcasts. That's the Edify. That's, so just with those two apps, I don't even know how to even measure how many podcasts, Christian podcasts, Bible studies, devotional sermons that are available to you just on those two. Then you can download the Sermon.net app. Again, Probably, probably hundreds of thousands, if not a million, sermons available on there. There's always basically someone live on Sermon.net with preaching. Those are just three platforms. Those are just three. Then you've got OnePlace.com, and we, we, I mean, there, there's, there's a, a number of other apps where you can get preaching and teaching and, and Bible study just around the clock, twenty-four hours a day, seven days a week. That that doesn't even count for. Christian radio or any other, uh, you know, different platforms where you can get preaching and teaching. I, I don't think there's even, I don't think it would be, to me, it would be crazy to even refer to, to what we are experiencing right now as a famine. To me, it's like we're, we're drowning in biblical preaching. And then just think of all the other things available. I mean, you can, you can, you can subscribe to devotionals. You can subscribe to Bible study curriculum. You can, I mean, you have access with a Kindle. You can download all the church fathers. You can download, you know, book after book after book, systematic theologies, biblical theology, practical theology, doctrine, You get studies of the creeds. I mean, you can just go on and on and on. You have access to so much. I don't see that we're, I, in fact, I am seeing that from the time I became a Christian to this very moment, March 2022, there is more preaching and teaching available to me now than there has been in my entire Christian life. That if we were looking like at a, at a, at a graph, it would be like, it would be like here, we're down low, like low on the graph. And as it's moved towards 2022, the graph just goes up and up and up. And that represents how much Biblical, biblically sound theology, biblically sound preaching and teaching, biblically sound content is available. There's more now than there has ever been. Now, what I'm, I have been trying to figure out 
And what has confused me is as the graph has gone up in content available, if we were to make a bar graph or a graph of other measurements like biblical knowledge, theological knowledge, knowledge about church history, you would see that graph going down. The more content that is available, people are becoming more biblically illiterate, more theologically illiterate, more illiterate about church history, and it's baffling. More is available than at ever point that at any point that I could even imagine, but it's not it's not producing the results you think should be there. And it's the most it's 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 the most confusing thing in the world. It, it's like it, I mean I, I don't even have an illustration to to describe it. It's like here you have everything you could need to grow in your knowledge and in your faith. And yet the church has become weaker and weaker, more divided, politically hijacked, apathetic, complacent. I mean, it, it, it's just everything's going in the wrong direction. And, I, and the reason this caught my attention last night or this early this morning, I should say, is because I always imagined I can even, even if I go all the way back to my first Bible Institute that I was ever a student in. I can remember just imagining and thinking the time is coming. Like, I, because I always viewed it this way, that the future, that, that biblical prophecy told me the time is coming. There's going to be a famine of God's word. There's going to be a famine of biblical preaching. It's going to be, it's going to be harder and harder for people to get, you know, Bible teaching. And so I kept thinking, okay, so when I went, as I you know, get trained for the ministry and I get into the ministry, there's going to, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be walking into a time of great famine and I'm going to be there to preach God's word, but it didn't go that way. That, that's the way I envisioned it, but it's gone the complete opposite. There's more preaching now than there has ever been. So I'm like, okay, so but things have gotten worse. I don't have an answer other than there's a, I think the issue currently obviously is not a famine. It's a complacency and an apathy within the body of Christ. I think, I think the people, the average person sitting in the pew, they have so much available to them 24 hours a day from all of the entertainment available, all of the social media posts, everything going on in their timeline on Facebook, whatever the case may be. They are just bombarded with content and options that they, 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 don't, they don't even know how to manage it. They don't know how to control it. And as a result, it's God's word that gets pushed to the side. It's the preaching of God's word that gets thrown out. That is, I think, the issue we need to look at. But it is still common, as we heard in that, uh, that video clip, that the audio that we played from it, that, that, that this is a coming prophecy. That it, it, it now, uh, right there, Stephen Lee seemed to imply that it may be starting now, but it's coming, it's coming. It's, it's gonna be future, it's gonna be future. So I'm thinking, it was, is it future for us? Or was it future for the people Amos was writing to? And if it was future to the, to, for the people that Amos was writing to, but it's now in our rear view mirror, in other words, it's in our past, it was in their future. 
What, what time period could it be referencing? So here's what I, I'm going to do. I'm just going to give a little background because whenever you come to a verse and everyone has obviously different interpretations or they have their interpretations, remember before we can, we have to do some background information. We got to try to, we got to try to develop some background to see if we can possibly come up with an option. Now, my job here in this episode is not to do a complete exposition of this. I'm going to throw ideas out See if we can spark some conversation in regards to it. All right, so here we go. Amos, the eighth century prophet from Judah to the northern kingdom of Israel, has given his name to this book as as its composer. His name means burden bearer in Hebrew. Now, this is very, just follow the dating here. Eighth century prophet from Judah, but he's to the northern kingdom of Israel. Eighth century. Now, something's coming in in church history, in history. It would be prior, I guess, to what we would call officially church history. In redemptive history, there's something coming in the history of Israel that I think most of you have probably heard about. And it happens in the 300s. Here we're on we're in the 700s and coming in 300 BC. So we're in 700 BC, coming in around 333 BC. I think 330, 330 BC. I, I'll have to look up the date here in a second. Something's going to happen. Something's going to happen that is of great significance. But we, we won't go into that right now. All right. Uh, let's see here. A one sentence summary of the book of Amos. Although Amos prophesied against the nations surrounding Israel, including Judah, his main message was against Israel, who must repent of injustice and idolatry or else go into exile, but then be restored to divine favor. Right? Uh, The purpose of the book, the book preserves the divinely inspired prophecies that Amos made during his ministry of undetermined length. He and Hosea were the only writing prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel. During Amos's day, the people of the northern kingdom fell politically, economically, and religious. Or I'm, I'm read this again. Uh, during the days of Amos, the people of the northern kingdom felt politically, economically, and religiously secure. Amos announced that these were false securities. Politically, Assyria would soon assert itself as the major threat to Israel. Economically, the good times had led to social corruption, violence, and injustice. And religiously, the worship of the Lord had been compromised by idolatry. Amos warned that injustice, immorality, and idolatry would bring divine judgment in the form of exile. Now, just remember, this is very important. So, the, the, when you read a book like Amos, the very first thing you need to figure out is who is it being written to and what's purpose? It's being written to Israel, warning them and rebuking them for their sin and warning them of the judgment that is going to come upon them. I'm not saying there's nothing in it that has any future implications. I'm not saying that that is not the case. There's very much a good chance that some of it has a future implication. But the first thing you always look at 
is how has, what, again, sometimes it was future for them and maybe past for us. So what we need to do whenever we read any, the minor prophets, major prophets, we see, okay, what was prophesied and has it been fulfilled in history? If it has been fulfilled in history, then typically you don't need to look for any future implications or any future application. You can go, that was that was for them. It was future for them. It occurred in this year or this year or this year or this year. And you can see it in history. So go back to Amos 8.11. Is it possible that when, behold, the days come, he's speaking to the northern kingdom then, right there. Now, there's also prophecies here that refer to uh, Judah. In fact, if we see here, if we look, yeah, uh, I'll just go to uh, chapter eight, verse one, just so that we have some context here. Thus saith the Lord God, thus say, thus hath the Lord God showed unto me and behold a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, the end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day, saith the Lord God. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. So the context here is massive judgment coming upon Israel. Let's continue reading verse four. Hear this, O ye that swallow up the needy, even to make the poor of the land to fail, saying, when will the new moon be gone that we may sell corn and the Sabbath that we may set forth wheat, making the ephah small and the shekel great and falsifying the balances by deceit, that we may buy the, uh, buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of shoes, yea, and sell the refuse of uh, and sell the refuse of the wheat. Wheat, if I can read correctly this morning. The Lord hath sworn by the excellency of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their works. Shall not this land tremble for this, and everyone and everyone mourn that dwelleth therein? And it shall rise up holy as a flood, and it shall be cast out and drowned as by the flood of Egypt. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in clear day. And I will turn your feast into mourning, and all your songs into lamentations. I will bring up sackcloth upon all loins, and baldness upon every head, and I will make it as the morning of an only son, and the end, therefore, as a bitter day. Now, if you look at all of that, the, the first implication is the judgment that's coming upon Israel, and that came upon them in history. That, that's, the first, that's the first application. To go beyond that, and some, now some of that you can say, well, that possibly is a future. Well, if it's future, future when? Right? Well, so, so then we have to get into a whole eschatology discussion. Are you talking future like great tribulation future where the church is gone? It is, so let's just, let's, let's play, let's just play a little game here, right? Just, just for, again, 
hermeneutical exercise here. I don't want to do all of the teaching. Let's just go for argument's sake. Let's go with an eschatology that believes in a the church being removed and a seven-year tribulation. Let's go with that, that form of eschatology. Well, then would this possibly refer to that time of, of, the, of the tribulation, great tribulation of that seven-year period where the church is gone? Is that why, behold, the days come and say of the Lord that I will send a famine in the land? Is that referring to a time when the church is gone? That, that's if you make this massively future. If you don't put it there, if you don't put it in the tribulation period, then what would be the historical possible explanation of what he's referring to, right? Is he possibly referring to when uh, uh, Israel is going to be basically taken by the Assyrians, go into exile? Is that where they're going to be separated from the temple and separated from worship and separated from the things of God? Is that what it's referring to? Or, or does this possibly refer to something that happened? And I, let me look up the date really quick because I want to make sure I give you the exact date. I have it right here. Is it possible? Oh, about fourth, I think I said three something BC, around 430 BC. Amos is 700 something BC. Around 430 BC. Let, let's see if you let, let's see if this rings a bell for any good Bible students. The 400 years of silence refers to the time between the Old Testament and New Testament, during which, so far as we know, God did not speak. No scripture was written. The 400 years of silence began with a warning that closed the Old Testament. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Um, And ended, and ended, so let me read. So it begins, uh, or or see, the 400 years began with the warning Malachi 4, 5 through 6, and it ends with the coming of John the Baptist, the Messiah's forerunner. At the time of Malachi's warning, about 430 BC. So at about 430 BC, there's this warning, and then that lasts until John the Baptist shows up. So basically 400 years of silence, no new revelation, God speaks. Is that the famine of God's word? Because now we have something that we can, you know, literally see within history. 400 years, no more scripture, no more revelation. God is silent, no more prophets. Then at the end of those 400 years, boom, John the Baptist shows up. And then you have the word of God itself coming in human flesh, Jesus Christ. Then you have the church starting to spread the word of God around the entire world. And God's word has continued to be published and and, and preached and taught everywhere. I mean, anywhere and everywhere that we can get the word of God to. So it's only increased in its availability. It's only increased. Now you could say there were some periods there in the middle ages where things got really, really bad. Okay, I, I, I can agree there. But since then, uh, you, you think of it this way, from the time of the Reformation to 2022, the, the availability and the preaching and the teaching of God's word has only increased 
decade after decade after decade after decade. So are we looking for a future here? And if we do look for a future, where do we place it? Is this something that as Christians that we need to be worried about that, that there's coming a time where there's going to be a famine in the land while the church is present? Or do you look for a time in prophecy where the church is no longer present? Some will say, well, the church is going to be present all the way to the end. Okay, well then, as long as the church is there, why would there be a famine of the preaching of God's word? Now, unless the church is going to be so completely corrupt and basically the gates of hell are going to persevere over the church. And in a roundabout way, if you're preserving over 2 million sermons, are you not then literally fighting against the prophecy? I mean, as long as there's 2 million sermons plus preserved and you have a way of getting those sermons to people, will there ever be a famine of God's word? 2 million sermons. I mean, just try to think of how long it would take you to listen to 2 million sermons. That would be enough spiritual food to sustain anyone. So as long as they're available, then can Amos 8, 11 ever occur unless the vault is destroyed, right? I mean, like, I, I, I'm just trying to see how this all plays out. So when it comes to Amos 8, 11, I'm going to give you some options. All right. Amos 8, 11, here, here's the, uh, some future or past. Future, when I say future, I'm talking, is it future for us? Here we are in 2022. Is it future for us? If it is, and I look at some of the language here, right? And, and in Amos chapter 8, where you have this idea um, they say the day of, say, I will cause the sun to go down at noon and I will darken the earth in clear day and I will turn your feast into morning. When you read about some of that, some could try to connect it to language connected, say, with Revelation and the tribulation period. Okay, well, then if we put it there, that we don't have anything to worry about, we'll be gone. We'll be gone. So, it has nothing to do with us if we if we use this language, using a kind of a dispensational language. It would have nothing to do with the church age because as long as the church is present, there will never be a famine of God's word because the church will continue, continue to proclaim it, preach it, and teach it. Now, we can always talk about the quality of the preaching and teaching, but I'm saying as long as the word of God is being taught, that's not a famine, right? So if it is future, then we have to put it in the tribulation period and that, that the church would, would no longer be there. So is it future there? I don't know where else. I don't know how you can just randomly just place it. Like, I don't even know how you can even random, randomly place it in the, in the here and now. I, I, just, I, I just think that that doesn't work. So if it is future for us, we have to put it there, tribulation period. If we go back into history and we're like, okay, when Amos gives the prophecy to the people of Israel, it's going to be future for them. And is that future for them? Was it their time in exile to the, well, the, I mean, Northern kingdom goes to the Assyrians never truly come out. So is it referring to Israel under Assyrian exile or is it referring to 430 BC where you began the 400 years of silence where God is completely silent to Israel? There's no revelation. There's no prophet. There's nothing. There's no prophecy until John the Baptist shows up. Is it referring to those 400 years? So it would have been future for them, past for us. 
Do we look back and go, well, there's the 400 years of silence. We see it in history, right? Anyone who goes to Bible college or seminary, you learn about the 400 years. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing happened during those 400 years. We just say that there was no new prophecy. There were some prophecies fulfilled in those 400 years, many people believe, but there it wasn't new there wasn't new prophecy being given there was no prof, prophets being sent there was a time of silence god was not speaking for those 400 years until john the baptist shows up so it'd be future for the people of amos not not you know depending if we go from 700 to 430 so you got you know a, a couple of hundred years you could say that in some ways maybe the time of silence starts for israel when they go into the assyrian exile they're separated from the worship of god they're se- separated from the things of god So maybe it kind of starts there, goes through the 400 years. And then John the Baptist shows up and God begins to speak. And then, I mean, definitely not a famine of God's word when the the, the eternal word of God is walking on earth. Obviously, there's not a famine then. And then the church starts taking it everywhere. So is it future or is it past? What should we do with Amos 8, 11? I thought I would at least throw this out there because I, I look, I'm glad, I'm glad that uh, Stephen Lee brought it up because it, it gives us all a great opportunity to really struggle with this and go exactly how do we interpret this? Exactly how do we interpret this? So I'm, I'm grateful that at three in the morning, I leaned over, grabbed my iPad, but that just shows you how we are definitely not in a famine. That at three o'clock in the morning, I can just lean over, grab my iPad, hit refresh and hit play. And there's a new sermon, like, or not even a sermon, but, but the word of God being read. And immediately it sparks me now having the ability to then talk about it. And then I can look up, you know, Bible handbooks. I can look up background information. I can look up articles. I mean, all of this is available to me. So it's 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 not even 9 a.m. and I've already had well, a spiritual meal and thinking about Amos 8:11. It's not even 9 a.m. Right now on Sermon Audio, I mean I'm going to go back to the app. There are currently 138 broadcasts right now. 138. 138 different broadcasters that you can listen to today. I, I, here and probably in the next 30 minutes to 40 minutes, there'll be probably three, four, 500 live broadcasts going on. I, there's no way that famine has anything to do with the time we're living in. It, it, it just doesn't. That famine, I think, refers to the uh, Israel going into exile and then the 400 years of silence. That's where I think it fits in best because it makes sense that he's warning Israel of those days. And then if it has any future implication at all, that it has to be the tribulation period and you would have to remove the church. You would have to go with that system of eschatology. I'm not here trying to fight for one system of eschatology here because that's not the point. The point is, how do we interpret Amos 8.11? And now I, I was taught... If I, if I go back to all the different Bible colleges I went to, seminaries, Bible institute, I went to so many, that I think I probably, probably about 80%, about 80% of them, I think, gave me the impression or the idea or just explicitly said, hey, the time's going to come in your ministry that there's a famine coming. A famine is coming of God's word. A famine is coming. And, uh, and that's, 
that's what I was told. And I, I kind of kept looking for and looking for. And then finally, I just realized there's too much. There's there's more preaching now. There's more. There, there's, God's word is everywhere. You, I mean, you can grab the Blue Letter Bible app for crying out loud. Not only can you read God's word, you can hear it read to you. And not only that, you can look up the Greek, the Hebrew, and you can ha- hear them say the words for you. I mean, that's just one app. And, there, and there's just think of all the apps available out there giving you scripture, 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 scripture. There, there's, we're, we're in the opposite of a famine. So to me, the, the famine occurred and passed. If it's future, it's going to be when the church is gone. So in the meantime, while we're here, I think we need to stop worrying about a famine and we need to start worrying about why with the overabundance of God's word everywhere, preaching everywhere, theology, Bible doctrine, it's everywhere why is it? Why is the fact that when it's so abundant, we are seeing such devastating consequences of apathy, complacency, and biblical theological illiteracy, and a complete lack of understanding of church history, and a complete lacking in many cases of Bible study methods or basic hermeneutical methods? That's what's going on. That's the problem. And, and, and people can make all the excuses, well, no one ever taught me. Okay, well, maybe you go to a church where you're not being taught those things, but those things are easily available to you. Maybe we just take it for granted now. You know, when I became a Christian, I didn't have access to all of this stuff. I remember I was a young Christian and I wanted to hear preaching. I wanted to hear preaching. I wanted to hear preaching. I was, I was like, okay, okay, man. Okay, where's a Bible study? And I remember I would call church after church after church. Do you have anything? Are, is there a sermon tonight? Do you have anything tonight? What's going on? I would just call them church. I was just looking like, find me something I can go to. Find me something I can, I can. And then I, you know, discovered Christian. Oh, I already knew Christian radio, but I figured out that there was preaching on Christian radio. And then I'm like, okay, Christian radio. I know I'm dating myself. Cassettes. What time do they come? Record, 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 record. And then I would listen to the same sermon over and 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 over again because I didn't have access to everything. Now, though, here's what's, and I think I've seen it even in my own life. Then, because I had I had so little available, I, I think I took a greater advantage of what was available and it meant more to me. I was more excited about it. Sometimes the more something is available to us, we, 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 it loses it being special to us. It becomes commonplace to us. And when the sacred becomes common, then we treat it as... You know, it's just something that can just be thrown away, something that's, that doesn't matter. And I think the sacred has become so common. There, there was a time for many people to go to a movie was, was a special treat, right? You didn't get to go every day. 
You know, some families, yeah, maybe you got to go once a week, maybe, but many families you would get to go maybe once a month or every couple of months and go into the movie was, and, and it sometimes was special. And because it was so special, in most cases, it didn't matter what the movie was. You came out, oh, it was great and it was wonderful, even if it wasn't really a good movie because you were just excited to go to a movie. Now, watching a movie doesn't even, it's not even special. It doesn't mean anything to anyone because they have a bazillion movies available to them 24-7. So as a result, in many cases, we find ourselves not enjoying them as much, becoming more jaded. We're losing our excitement. I think the same thing has happened in a sense with the church. Maybe a famine of God's word would actually be a good thing. Maybe it would actually be a good thing because maybe it would bring back a, we would respect it and reverence it and treat it as sacred and special, but we treat it common now. It's, 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 it's just, you know, eh, whatever. It, it, it's, it's, it's just kind of, there's nothing special about it. I mean, when you can just pick up an app, like, again, I'm looking at the Sermon Audio 2.0 app, and if I just, just do a refresh right now, See here, I just do a do. Now we're at 172 live webcast. 172. I mean, I mean, you just hit see all. Where, where do you even start? Which one do you listen to? Which one? And you know what? I and I've I, I I know that people do this. They'll just go from one live broadcast to a different live broadcast to, and they'll just look and either they don't want like the sound of the preacher's voice or they don't like the video or they don't like the audio. They'll just go to another one or oh I don't really like what he's preaching on. Oh I'll go oh this I like this one and they'll just go from almost like the, the, like they're you know doing channel surfing, just going from one to another to another until they find out what they want. That's literally where we've we've arrived. That's not a famine. The famine is past for us, future for them. And if it is future for us, it's going to be when the church is gone. So I, I'm all for building the vault. I'm all for preserving sermons. I'm all for that. I'm not, I'm not in any way, and again, I have questions on how it would work. I'm not in any way speaking against that. I'm just thinking about maybe should our focus be on preparing for a famine or should our focus be trying to figure out what is happening during a flood of preaching and teaching that doesn't seem to be having an impact on anyone. That's just some thoughts. I always have kind of a different perspective. So, uh, I'm just glad that I have the freedom to offer a different perspective and you can, you can agree or disagree and you can email me news at yahoo.com. All right. This will conclude this hour of live broadcasting. We'll be back here. We'll probably try to do one more broadcast that will get us close to nine 30 because then around nine 30, people will start walking through the front door. So then we'll take about that 30 minute space. I'll get everything ready. And then at 10 AM we have, uh, Sunday school, and then at 11 a.m., or about, about 11.15, 11.20, then we'll have the morning worship uh, this morning. It is, uh, well, we're going to kind of begin a verse-by-verse study of a new book. won't tell you what that is right now. And then we continue our, our, our verse-by-verse study of the book of Romans. And I have to laugh because uh, we are currently, I think we've made it to chapter four and, and the sermons that I'm posting for the Church One app and uh we let me let me go. I gotta I gotta find this. 
going to go to, uh, I'm going to pull up uh, Theology Central. Okay. And then I'm going to go to our series. We have 71 sermons, <laughs> 71 sermons between chapter one. Well, yeah. Okay. As someone who goes to my church laughed when I said people will show up at 930. You're right. I just try to be prepared in case they show up at 930. Okay. But we have 71 sermons and that covers Romans chapter one, chapter one to Romans, the beginning, uh, or basically uh, 71 sermons to get us from chapter one to the end of chapter three. So that, that shows you <laughs> we're never going to finish the book of Romans. But, but again, all of that is available to anyone. See, that's not a famine. That's not a famine. That's not a famine. Just if we go to our Bible study exercise, our Bible study exercise series, um, pull up all of our Bible study exercise, our Bible study exercises where we take one, we take one passage of scripture. We spent all week studying it. We've done 214 Bible study exercises, Two. 114. And let me tell you, that number is not completely accurate because there's there's ones that need to be added to that series. And, I'll, and I'm continuing to work trying to find all of them. So who knows? We may be close to 300 Bible study exercises available for anyone. Say, that's not a famine. That's not a famine. That's not even close to a famine. And so, um, and yeah. I, I could continue on, but I, I, I just, Amos 8, 11, I just, if you want to know where I think, I think it was, I think it's been fulfilled when Israel went into exile and in the 400 years of silence, starting in 430 BC and continued all the way to the time John the Baptist came on the scene. There you go. That, that's where I think the, the famine of God's word occurred. That's where I think it was fulfilled. And if it has future, it's got to be when the church is gone. It's got to be when the church is gone. So you'd have to have the removal of the church and then the seven-year tribulation. And then even during the seven-year tribulation, don't you have witnesses who go out and preach? If you go with a a very literal seven-year tribulation, a very dispensational concept, don't you have witnesses that are sent to go preach? Even in the midst of that? It was 144,000, right? So, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be past. It's got to be in our past. That's what I'm going to go with. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. Um, I'll be back. Hopefully, hopefully I can get one more thing done uh, before 930. All right, thanks for listening. Thanks, Twyla, for, for listening uh, early this morning. And uh, well, anyone email me if you need to. And well, thanks for listening. God bless.